You're listening to episode number 246, and today we're on part three of our latest series on eight life-changing health tips that you need to know, and today we're talking about a new spin on meditation. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place where I believe you were made for living well. I know I say it on every podcast, but it truly is what I believe, and I hope that repetition over time makes you believe it as well. It's not a traditional health idea that you were made for living well, but it's one that I want to solidify inside of you. Because Really, you have what you need to be healthy. It's already inside of you, and it takes understanding and working with your own body. That is the secret to living well, and I want to teach you that here on the podcast. So right now, we're currently in the middle of an eight-part series on eight life-changing health practices that you need to know. Now, they're not about food. Well, there's going to be a few about food. But the majority of them are about the mind and your belief and lifestyle patterns that really create that environment for your body to thrive. I know it sounds non-traditional, and it is because I'm non-traditional when it comes to the health space. But really, if we look at the scope of health in general, it's time for a change. What we've been doing or attempting to do for the last 30 or 40 years hasn't worked. Not because there's not a perfect system out there but because we fail to look at the very thing that is going to create health inside of you, and that is your body. So today we have a special guest on the show. We're talking all about meditation, and so I've invited one of the top known meditation specialists, and this is not just like crazy meditation. This is a different spin on it, but she's an inspiring neuroscience innovator and entrepreneur, Ariel Garten. Ariel is probably one of the most interesting people you'll meet. She's a neuroscientist, a mom, psychotherapist, former fashion designer, and the co-founder and visionary of an amazing and highly successful tech startup, Muse. Now, you might have heard of Muse before, but Muse tracks your brain during meditation to give you real-time feedback on your meditation, guiding you into the zone and solving the problem most of us have when starting a meditation practice. Like Muse lets you know when you are doing it right and when you're not. Now, Ariel was able to raise all kinds of money to create this new startup of Muse. Now, it's not technically new anymore. It's been around for a while. And in fact, it's been featured in thousands and thousands of articles all over the world. With her leading mission to help people understand how their brain and mind work and how that plays out in helping us to live more. Now, you can imagine I have all kinds of questions that I want to ask Ariel, and I can't wait to dive in and start to do that. Um, But she has also given us a discount code, so you're going to want to stay tuned towards the end where you can get a discount on your own Muse device. Now, Muse does track your brainwaves, and it helps you enter into that meditation space. Today, you're going to learn about meditation, and then you might find that, hey, I really want to check this out, and I want to learn more. You can find out all of the information about Muse at choosemuse.com, and Muse is M-U-S-E. I'll make sure and link all of that up in the show notes, as well as share some more helpful practices about meditation and how to implement it into your everyday. So you can find out all of that over at thelivingwell.com. But for now, let's get right to the show. 
Welcome to the show, Ariel. It is an honor and a privilege to have you on. And I'm currently in the middle of a series on eight health practices to transform your life. Um, And honestly, this is perfect timing because there's so much information about the mind and really using the mind as the most powerful tool to transform our lives, especially our health. So you've studied neuroscience at the University of Toronto. Like what made you dive into the mind and what fascinating things have you learned? Oh my God, so many fascinating things. I mean, the mind really directs our experience of life in so many ways. It is the organ that takes in our visual information, our auditory information that processes the world for us. You know, we have we have all these senses that become integrated through the process of the mind. And the body is definitely involved, but the mind in a way ties it all together and presents it to us in meaningful ways. So, you know, I was fascinated by how the world works and how we work and learning how the mind worked was really one of the most you know, kind of gratifying and deep ways I think of to understand what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. I'm now into also understanding the spirit and the things beyond what we can touch and feel and study with science. Uh, But the mind was a gateway for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think when we look at our mind and what we've learned over the course of even the last 10 or 15, 20 years is fascinating work. Uh, But there's one big thing that I talk a lot about here, and that's stories. Like our brains are centered on stories. Can you talk about stories for a moment? And, And especially when we get into health and why so many people have such a hard time changing. What is it about the stories that we tell ourselves that have such an impact on the outcome that we experience? Sure. So how our mind works is it's a complex network of neurons that communicate to one another at lightning speed. And all of these things are organized by some guiding principles. Some of those guiding principles are the you know network connections in our brain and the way that the hardware of our brain works. And some of that organization is actually governed by the stories and the narratives that we have. And so the story that you have about the world actually changes how you see the world. Mm. If you're told before you go outside to say, those trees are really beautiful today, when you come back in, somebody's going to say, what'd you see? And you're going to say, I saw trees. If you're told when you go outside, wow, those cars are really fast. When you go back in, they'll say, what'd you see? I saw cars, Mm. you know, Mm. same organ doing the processing, same neural hardware, but it's really our stories that govern what we see and interpret in the world. Mm. It's the stories that make sense of that information for us and feed it back to us in what we perceive as meaningful ways. And when you're able to change your story, you literally change the way that the framing with which you see the world and the framing with which you see ourselves. And so many of us are stuck with negative stories about ourselves and negative stories about others and the world and what it means to us. And that fixes us into these really negative habit patterns. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those negative habit patterns because you have been or you have said before that your brain and your mind is similar to a muscle, right? Like it's something that we work out. So when we work out these negative stories, does that become our way of life in a way? So super famous phrase from Nobel prize winning scientist, what fires together wires together. Mm. So, you know, as we continue to play out these stories and play out these patterns, they become self-reinforcing. That becomes the neural networks that wire together. That becomes the framing with which you then see the world um, and the conclusions that you then take away from it. 
you know, if I was to go into a party and, you know, somebody who, who maybe feels a little insecure and I go into a party with the thought in my head that everybody here is mean Mm -hmm. and nobody's going to like me when I walk in, how am I going to react? How am I going to be to everybody there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, probably shut down. pretty shy. Yeah, right. yeah, shut down, shy. Are people going to talk to me? Uh-huh. I mean, you no, know, like, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. What's the evidence that I will walk away with from that party and those people? That people, the, the story that you told yourself that people are mean and, yeah. you know, not gonna, going to like you. Yep. If I walk into the exact same group of people with the thought in my head of, these people are so fun. They want to talk to me. I can't wait to talk to them. How will I act when I arrive? I mean, you're going to have fun and you're going to interact with people. Yeah. And how are they going to react to me? They're going to give back probably what you gave to them in a way. Yeah. You'll come in, you'll be bubbly. You'll talk to people. They'll talk back to you. What's the evidence that I'll walk away with? That people are fun, that the party was fun and that it was engaging, interactive. Exact same group of people. The absolute only difference was the story I had in my head when I walked in. Mm. And as we walk through our lives with these stories, we really end up reinforcing them because we then find the evidence that supports that story because we existed and you know acted within the frame of that story. Mm. So being able to identify and then shift your narratives is key to changing the way that you exist in your life and in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you go about changing those stories, is it as simple as understanding the story that you've told yourself and and literally just placing a new one on top of that? Or is there more steps that are involved when we get into the rewiring and reworking of those stories? Yeah. So stories are hard to fix because the world is constantly giving us evidence that says that it's true even when it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first step, you're absolutely right, is to identify the story, to have the the ability to step outside of yourself, to see the narrative that you're playing out and to say, hey, maybe that's not true. Mm -hmm. The actual act of rewiring takes a long time because these stories are deeply embedded. So as we begin to kind of unearth these stories, the negative perceptions that we might have about ourselves or the world, um, you know, there's a lot of things that will try to protect or reinforce them. But as we start to find evidence to the contrary, like, hey, maybe maybe those people aren't bad. Mm-hmm. As we do little experiments to test the opposite and we discover new evidence, as we, as silly as affirmations might sound, but it, they literally rewire your brain mm-hmm. as you think, you know, as you say this thing to yourself over and over and over again, you know, we can use multiple techniques, um, meditation being one of the core of them, the ability to sit with your own thoughts and, and see what your brain is thinking, and then be able to make a different decision than the thought that's in your head. As we use all these methodologies, we begin to really change the landscape of our mind and of our interactions. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And that changes like the whole of your brain, not just uh, maybe your conscious thoughts, but your subconscious thoughts. Do we have the ability to change those subconscious and your ego and, and even your senses based on just constantly reworking that story? Yeah. So those were, those were a set of really great questions. So conscious thoughts are easier, easy to change. Mm -hmm. Subconscious thoughts can follow from changing conscious thoughts. So subconscious thoughts are things that 
are going on in the inside, but we don't necessarily realize. But as you begin to change those conscious thoughts, those subconscious thoughts can change as well. Um, perceptions change just based on your attention. So what you pay attention to is what gets larger in your brain. And then things like your senses, those senses are hardwired, but they're also influenced by outside information. So for example, if you taste a glass of orange juice and then you taste the exact same orange juice with three drops of red food coloring in it, you're going to perceive the orange juice with red food coloring as sweeter. Mm. You will actually taste it as sweeter. And you'll think you're going absolutely crazy. You can even put in, like pour the juice yourself from the skin container, put in the three drops of food coloring yourself and your body mind will still taste it as sweeter. Mm. So even our actual senses can yes, be shifted. Mm -hmm. And one of the main vehicles that we can use to shift our experience in that way is our attention. Mm -hmm. And meditation is actually an act that does many things, one of which is train our attention and allows us to put our attention on the things we want to focus on and pay attention to and move towards and let go of the things that although our biology might be saying, hey, you should like really pay attention to this email or this girl that may not like you or whatever you can start to override that biology and actively using your prefrontal cortex, shift your attention elsewhere to something that's more productive, more useful, and more fruitful for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about the idea of space and creating that in our minds in just a minute, but I kind of want to go back to like, like in the health space, you know, like our minds are so fixated on external stimulus and external control, believing that like we have to step outside of ourselves to change the inside of us. How, how do you shift that idea? Because it's so ingrained in us, like in the health space of, I've got to start this diet. I've got to work out more. And it's all of these external characteristics that have become so like sexy in a way. This work just feels so simple in some regards that it's hard to make it stick, if that's making sense. Yeah. So one of the ways that you make it stick is by beginning to recognize the benefits of it. Mm. So when we talk about something like a meditation practice, which is one of the most kind of foundational ways to start to shift your inner landscape, um, luckily meditation has become very sexy these days and everybody wants to meditate, but not everybody's right. great at doing it because it, it honestly is hard to do. It's on the one hand, very hard. On the other hand, very simple. Mm -hmm. So to describe... I'm sure many of your listeners meditate, but some of them, you know, uh, I often get the question, like, how do you meditate? Well, the most basic form of meditation is focused attention meditation. And in a focused attention meditation, you are putting your attention on your breath. Eventually, your attention will wander away onto a thought because that's what our minds do. You'll start to think that thought and then you'll say, hey, hold on. I'm not supposed to be paying attention to these thoughts. I'm supposed to be paying attention to my breath. So you move your attention away from the thought and onto the breath. Mm -hmm. Eventually, again, your mind's going to start to wander to your thoughts. You'll let go of that thought and say, hey, not right now. Thanks so much. Back to my breath. And when you do this incredibly simple practice, it's also incredibly complicated to actually like can be difficult to actually do. When you do this practice, what you're actually doing is you're shifting your relationship to your thinking. So most of us just kind of go through the world with thoughts in our head. And we assume that because there's thoughts in our head, we're supposed to be thinking them because they're there. Mm -hmm. And so you're thinking about your groceries and your fight with your boyfriend and how annoyed you are at your brother and the cat across the street and all the random things that float around in there. Well, when you do the simple practice of putting your attention on your breath, and then when a thought comes up, instead of following it, you say, hey, 
I don't actually need to be in this thought right now. I'm going to move my attention elsewhere onto something neutral, my breath. In that moment, you change your relationship to your thinking. In that moment, you're able to actually have control or agency over the contents of your own mind. And you are no longer at the mercy of these thoughts in there and thinking them. You can actually have some level of choice. And so that's one of the fundamental shifts that comes from a meditation practice when you begin to recognize that, hey, I don't need to think those thoughts. That's weird. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm not thinking them, I don't need to think them. Hey, maybe I can now like look at them objectively and realize like, hey, maybe those things that I'm thinking aren't useful. Maybe they aren't even true. Maybe those things about me aren't even true. And you start to create an incredible amount of choice and latitude in your own system. Yeah. Yeah. I like that thought because it's almost like a, a way to take control of what feels out of control for so many of us. And like I mentioned, our minds anymore seem like they're moving in a million different directions and there's always a distraction that is out there. And so w- when we talk about meditation is, is the goal to, you know, I, I've kind of perceived that as a goal of like getting to the state of nothingness, but you're kind of saying it's like getting to a state where you can create more awareness of your thoughts so that you can choose them? Yes. So there's many, many, many facets to meditation. Meditation uh, has many amazing benefits that it brings you. And the goal is not to have no thoughts because really that's not realistic. We are yeah. we are human beings with lots of brains. One of, one of the things that we are trying to do in meditation though is to become aware of our mm-hmm. thoughts not at the mercy of them, but to gain something called metacognition, the ability to rise above and to see your thoughts, to have increased choice around our thoughts, and to create something called equanimity. So when a thought arises, and maybe it's a thought about um, a trauma trigger from the past, um, when that thought arises, you could say, oh no, there's that thought again. And oh, that thing was so bad and ruminate about it and make it worse and bigger and bigger and bigger. Or you can say, hey, that was a thought that just came up. It arise. That was a thing that happened in my past. It's not here right now. Let it go. Equanimity is the act of being okay with what is. And instead of creating, you know, bigger balls of wax, drama, molehills, you know, from mountains from molehills, with equanimity, we're able to simply accept what's going on. And some of the thoughts in our head are kind of crazy. Doesn't mean that we're crazy. <laughs> it just means that, you know, our, mm-hmm. our, our brains generate all sorts of stuff. And when you can allow that to roll past and when you can allow the events of your life to, when necessary, roll past with equanimity, to not be frustrated that person who cut you off, to, to not be, you know, overly upset at a person who meant well but did wrong. Um, when you can, with equanimity, accept what's happening around you, you also start to shift your relationship to your world, to the energy that you spend in it, to where your efforts are going, and the world becomes a much easier place to live in and to navigate yourself through. Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense because I think we waste so much energy building massive thoughts inside of our brain that most of the time never even come to be, or they do. If they do, you know, because you think yourself there, then they become bigger problems. And I think this in the health space so often is, you know, like we, at the start of the year, we, we set these resolutions because our body is the problem or, you know, X, Y, and Z is the problem. And then we just fixate our mind on those things, which rarely gets us to the solution because we're just constantly circulating around this problem. 
So as someone, you know, like is looking to change their health, looking to change their life, looking to maybe even overcome, you know, their, their excessive sugar cravings, you can use the practice of meditation to, to understand those thoughts and to create choice. Like, can you walk someone through what would that even look like? Sure. So let's take the example of sugar cravings. That's a really good one. And in meditation, there are lots of practices that we call things like urge surfing, where you're able to actually work with the sensation or craving and not give into it. So in a meditation practice, you are sitting for, let's say, five minutes and you're sitting there and the thought of a cookie comes up. And now most of us, when you have that thought of a cookie, just start to automatically go like, oh, great cookie. My hand is moving towards the cookie jar. My hand is in the cookie jar. The cookie's in my mouth. And I didn't even think about it because it's mindless. Mm -hmm. With meditation, first, we bring mindfulness to the practice. So we observe, hey, I just had a thought about a cookie and it has triggered a sugar craving in me. Now, that is a huge step in and of itself to say like, oh, okay, I'm having this experience rather than just living it out and automatically walking through the pattern of of following that thing that your body's telling you to do for not a particularly good reason. Mm -hmm. So now we've introduced some choice into the system because we can see what's going on. So the next step is, okay, notice that I'm having a sugar craving. I'm noticing that I'm having a desire for sugar. Do I need to actually play that out. Now, this is fascinating. So our body might be saying, have that sugar now. And you could just go and do that. Or you could also not do that. Well, what happens when you don't do that? You just sit with the feeling. And most of us don't like feelings or we feel driven or compelled to do what the feeling tells us when all it actually is, is a feeling. It's just Mm -hmm. a feeling of urge, of Mm -hmm. of craving, of hunger. And if you sit with that urge and you don't actually get up and do the thing, the urge will rise and it might rise very, very high and it might like feel intense and that's okay. You don't have to get up and then the urge will fall and then you're on the other side of it and you didn't have a cookie. Mm -hmm. And now the next time that happens, rather than playing through the automatic pattern, which happened a hundred times before we got the cookie, this time you're going to see it happen again. You're going to know that you were actually able to get to the other side of it you're going to be telling your brain that actually we no longer need to act on it. Hey, we didn't act on it and everything was fine. And it's going to start to diminish. And the more you sit there and the urge rises and falls, the more you don't care about it intellectually. And the more your brain actually repatterns to say, hey, we no longer need to just play out this automatic pattern anymore. We are literally repatterning and rewiring our brain. Mm. So meditation really helps us sit with our experience, mm-hmm. with our, you know, the, the emotions, the things that we label as uncomfortable and just be cool. in that discomfort for a period of time. So mm-hmm. you're feeling a little frustration. Okay. That's what you're feeling now. That's the experience you're having. Yep. It's going to come. It's going to go. It doesn't mean you have to act on it or, or do anything about it. We can just sit there and experience it and it will be okay. You are still safe. Everything is still fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really just taking control of what has in our life really ran our lives because I think so many of us let our thoughts and our emotions dictate who we are when neither of them is really who we are. They're just an experience. Yeah, isn't that funny? You know, when you ask somebody, who am I? Like, normally you would say, well, I guess I'm the collection of thoughts, experiences, and emotions. Mm-hmm. Y- you are, but you also aren't. 
You are mm -hmm. a human being. You are a person. Um, you couldn't believe that you have a soul or not, whatever, whatever your own belief system is, but you are not just, you know, a collection of drives and emotions. You are a person who also has the ability and the agency to have these things happening and not have to act on them because you are not your thoughts. You are not your emotions. You are something, you know, individual from that who might be having some thoughts and emotions, but they don't have to mean what they used to, mm -hmm. to you because mm -hmm. there is a you that is in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is really powerful stuff. And if it like starts to click, it really does transform how you go about your everyday life and things that used to control you really lose their power. And you've created technology um, that helps people to live in the space, to gain control of their mind. Can you talk a little bit about Muse and some of the technology that you've created and what we can use it for, how it can transform us? Sure. So Muse is a brain sensing headband that helps you meditate. It is a personal meditation assistant that is so effective. Mm -hmm. So most of us, when we sit down to meditate, our brain is bouncing all over the place. And it's kind of like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, yeah. am I doing this right? <laughs> like, oh, geez, I'm yeah. on my thought. Well, you know, okay, back to my breath. Okay, that just is, uh huh? So uh -huh. there's no little coach or guru inside your head telling you what you should be doing. So with Muse, we actually solve that problem with a device that tracks your brain and wave activity during your meditation and gives you real-time feedback to actually let you know when you're meditating, if you're doing it right, and to guide you back into that meditation state. Mm. So what Muse does is it translates your brain activity into guiding sounds. So when your mind is wandering off into a thought, you actually hear the soundtrack is stormy. And as you come to quiet, focused attention on your breath, you've moved your attention away from your thinking, then the sound quiets. And then if you stay really quiet, then there's little birds that tweet that reinforce like, yep, you're here. Keep going. You got it. You got it. You got it. And then after your meditation, you get data, charts, graph scores, things that show you moment by moment what your brain was doing. We also have other meditations and sensors on the same device for your heart, your breath, your body. So you get an incredibly full meditation practice and also hundreds of guided meditations. It's really like a one-stop shop to either help you start your practice, or if you're an experienced meditator, have a brand new lens into it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, it's incredible what it can do. And, and you're using this technology based on frequencies. How is this technology, like how is the device actually sensing what's happening inside your mind? Sure. So it's a slim little headband in the same way that you have like a Fitbit on your wrist. This is a little band on your forehead and it is a clinical grade EEG. So what an EEG does is it reads your brainwave activity. As your neurons communicate, they create electrical energy. Um, we can only read the big shifts in the brainwave activity. So the brainwaves of focused attention on your breath look like one thing. The brainwaves of mind wandering look different. And so the device is able to detect and inform you when you're focused in your meditation state and when your mind is wandered. And it's super effective. There's over half a million people around the world that have either started or enhanced their meditation practice with Muse. We're at the point now it's been in market for about seven years. And I've now met meditation teachers. And when I ask them, so how'd you start to meditate? They shyly tell me using Muse <laughs> and then they yeah. become meditation <laughs> teachers. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some things that people can experience from getting into a meditation practice? Because I feel like Muse is a game changer. And the fact that I've, I'm like a dog who sees a squirrel when I try to do this alone. 
it really does just it almost gives you that ability to keep yourself focused by those like little reminders. But what internally, like physiologically in our biology, can people start to experience from shifting their minds more into this meditative state? Sure. So when you meditate, there are a number of interesting things that happen in your brain long-term. So one is the front of your head called your prefrontal cortex, the um, area just behind your forehead. It's the part of your brain that's responsible for attention, also for metacognition, higher order processing, planning. And when you have a long-term meditation practice, you're actually able to increase or maintain the thickness of your prefrontal cortex. So you're literally seeing changes in the gray matter of the brain. There's another organ in your brain called the amygdala. And that's the part of your brain that's associated with fight or flight. It's the thing that's always scanning for danger, seeing the negative, making sure that, you know, it's screaming as loud as it can about anything that might possibly go wrong and telling you over and over and over and over and over again. And so in a meditation practice, what you can actually see is a downregulation of the amygdala. And over the long-term, long-term meditators have amygdalas that can be quieter and even a decrease in the size of the amygdala. And so you're actually seeing through this meditation practice, real physiological change in the brain and the body. You also start to see a increase in heart rate variability in long-term meditators, a decrease in blood pressure and other markers that indicate that your entire cardiovascular and, and um, like relaxation systems are in much better health. Yeah. I mean, the, the research is really incredible. When, when you say when you're meditating, it's bringing yourself back to like that neutral, that state of breath. Is it only and always about the state of breath or are there m- many things that we can focus on that bring us back to a state of neutral or can we fixate on a positive? Like, yeah, totally. So there are many, many different forms of meditation, mm-hmm. even within focused attention meditation. You, often the breath is used because The breath is in the present. So in meditation, you want to get out of thoughts about the past or the future. So it's in the present. It's here and now. You can feel it. It's sensory and you're in your sensory experience rather than in your thoughts. But you can also focus on a point on the wall. You can focus on a mantra. Um, So in a mantra meditation, you might be saying something positive to yourself, either in English, um, like, you know, I am love or, you know, everything's going to be fine foreign, another foreign language that uh, has been demonstrated to have meaning to others for thousands of years. And so any of these points of focus of your attention that take you out of your thought and allow you to put your attention on something else can be useful objects for meditation. Mm, Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. What was your, what was your why behind creating Muse? Like what, what did you want to get out of it? Okay. So (laughs) A number of things. At the time, I was a psychotherapist in private practice and teaching people to meditate. And I myself was a terrible yeah. meditator. I was, you know, one of those people whose brains bounced all over the uh-huh. place. You know, you can hear how quickly I talk and all the ideas. It's like I, I, I just love thinking and love life and just, you know, don't want it to shut off. So I, I was really bad at meditating and bad at even kind of buying into it, even though I, as a therapist, was teaching my clients to meditate and seeing the incredible benefits it had in their lives. And so through the building of Muse, you know, we really recognized that with my neuroscience training and psychotherapy training, you know, I knew there were thousands and 
thousands of research articles at that point, about 1,000. Now there's about 8,000 demonstrating the benefits of meditation on your mind, your body, your relationships, your school scores, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so myself and my co-founders, Chris and Trevor, we realized if only we could make this process of meditation easier, if only we could sort of demystify it and really bring it up to the 20th century or 21st century, give people real data on what's going on, make it tangible and real, then we could get more people meditating. And the more people that meditate, the better the world is going Mm -hmm. to be. The better our own self-reflection, our interpersonal interactions, our overall social dynamics. You know, if you want to get the world to be a better place, let's just get everyone meditating. Yeah, Yeah, because I mean, we're living in a mental health crisis and it's, it's skyrocketing. Like when we look at meditation, it really does calm the mind and it gives you the power to control your thoughts again, rather than letting them control you. In your own life, have you ever experienced any sort of anxiety, depression? Maybe not you, but like, I'm sure you've heard stories about how it's liberated people from, you know, the trauma of the past. Like, can you give some hope, some stories about what this could look like for people and why it's so important to change the world via using a form like meditation? I can talk about me. (laughs) Yeah. It's much better when it's personal. Um, So I'm currently pregnant with, as as we mentioned before, I'm pregnant. I'm five months pregnant. And with my last child, I had wicked postpartum depression. Mm. He's five years old now. And so I had crazy thoughts in my head, you know, about harming my child, et cetera, things that I would never do, but just the act of having that thought in my mind was so scary. Mm -hmm. It was, it was unbelievable. And the fear of those thoughts only created more Mm -hmm. thoughts. And, um, you know, a meditation practice was essential in that moment to be able to say, yes, I have this thought arising. Um, but it is only a thought. It doesn't mean anything about me, about him, about the world. This is postpartum depression. These are the kinds of thoughts you get. I'm just going to allow that thought to move on and move past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was, it was not easy, but I was very, 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 very lucky to have that practice. I can't tell you how lucky I was Um, because in that moment, it's so easy to slip into hating yourself, feeling like you're a bad mom, you know, being, being incredibly anxious about the thinking, about worrying about that these things might come true. What does this mean about me being afraid of the thoughts, having more of them come because you're afraid of them and that whole ball. And I was able to widely sidestep that with this understanding of my own thinking. Mm. So, I mean, that's a pretty dramatic example. Most people don't, thank God, many people don't get postpartum depression, but, you know, to even offer a far more tangible example, you know, I have this Um, you know, I used to have this sort of recurring fight with my husband when he would be like, you're stacking the dishwasher the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) So relatable. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And then I would have the feelings come inside of myself being like, you're being a control freak right now. You know, leave me alone. Mm. You know, why do you care about, you know, all of, and it would be thoughts and feelings that would arise. And in the past, prior to a meditation, we've been with my husband for 15 years now. So prior to a meditation practice, what would happen with that fight is he would strongly believe his feelings about the dishwasher. I would come back with anger, feeling controlled, frustration, the need to break free and an incredibly strong ego. Mm -hmm. 
And it would just end up in a tremendous fight. Mm -hmm. And after the transformation of practice of being able to observe my mind, observe my body, observe his needs, rise above and see the whole situation, I can, he can say, hun, you're stacking the dishwasher wrong. Mm -hmm. And I can stop and say, oh, how do you think it should be stacked? Not, not in a bitchy way. Just, okay, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? And he'll say, well, when you turn the dish this way, then the water can get up into it and it'll end up being clean. And I can say, oh, cool. Yeah, that's great information. Thank you. And then always do that because actually it was a better idea. Mm -hmm. And like, whoa, did it make my life better? (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, did it make his life Uh better? Yeah. But it took that moment of like seeing outside of the thought almost in a way, like seeing a different story about. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not being driven by my story of, Mm -hmm. you know, this person is crazy. They're trying to control me. I must be right. I must know the way this is doing. I'm closed off to new information. Mm -hmm. You know, these are all very, very familiar feelings to most people. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So relatable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So instead of saying F you, Uh I can now really genuinely say, oh, Uh I didn't think of that. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) And And learning to grow so much more from that. Whoa. Like so often these thoughts are just stuck in our, like create this fixed mindset. Um, Yeah. So this is just a side question, but like when it comes to meditation, do you feel like meditation could replace talk therapy or do you think that they're both equally important? Like what, it, what is your take on, on, on that perspective? It's a great question. And as a former psychotherapist, I will always advocate for talk mm-hmm. therapy. You know, there's, there's incredible value to having somebody knowledgeable and skilled that you can share what's going on and they can see the sides and the pieces. I believe the two really go hand in right. hand. If you don't have access to talk therapy, you know, meditation is amazing. Like meditation is really, really, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as with anything, you know, the more angles that you can attack something from, the more insights that you can have, the more progress you're going to make. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a therapist or that's still too weird for you, awesome. Meditate. You know, you'll get, you'll get, you'll definitely get somewhere without question. If you can layer therapy on top of that, you'll get there even faster. Right. And it's only like, uh, a tool that can be used to enhance talk therapy too, because that's only a set amount of time. And then you go home and it's kind of like, okay, now I have all this to process. Like the meditation really does help you process through what it is you're talking about. So I can see how they can both work together. Now, when it comes to a meditation practice and specifically with Muse, is this something that you're doing multiple times a day or like, what does it take to see these real results? Sure. So um, there've been over 200 research studies published with Muse. And in studies where we look at uh, the sort of best protocol for a meditation practice, it tends to be about 10 minutes a day for about six weeks. And when you hit the six week mark, like you get the practice, you feel it. You're like, whoa, okay. When I don't do this, my life is different. Mm -hmm. So at about two to three weeks, you start to notice, hey, you know, I'm feeling calmer. The voice inside my head is quieter. Um, I feel like I have a little bit more agency. By week four, week five, you often notice you're sleeping better because there's a big relationship between meditation and sleep. And we actually have a whole product and program to help you sleep, Mm -hmm. which is key. Um, And then by six weeks, you're really feeling the power of the practice and how your day is better when you do Mm -hmm. it. 
So it has lasting results, like a lot of things, right? Like exercise has results for hours after you actually complete a workout. This is a similar pattern. Like when you say the whole dishwasher situation with your husband, you meditate, you do the muse practice, but then throughout the day, you're also able to shift your thoughts or to, um, really see beyond your thoughts. Is that, is that kind of how it works throughout the rest of the day? Exactly. Just like going to the gym, you know, you work on the machine, your muscle stronger. And then when you need to, you can lift the groceries and move the couch to vacuum under it. And and you've got that skill now. Um, but like going to the gym, you have to keep it up. And the more you do it, the more you learn, the better you get. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know we're running out of time, but like in regards to sleep and using muse or meditation to sleep, what is the function of meditation as it results in getting a better night's sleep? Sure. So when you're lying awake at night, unable to sleep, what do most people report? We're having a whole bunch of thoughts rolling around in their head. And what meditation teaches you to do is to take your mind out of those thoughts so that it can put your mind to sleep. Mm. And so what we actually heard from a lot of people using Muse was that they were using it to help them fall asleep. So we then built this purpose-built device called Muse S, which is soft and you can sleep in it. And it gives you these beautiful guided visualizations. And because it's EEG technology, it's the exact same stuff that they have in a sleep lab. Muse is able to detect your level of wakefulness and actually change the audio guidance to guide you into sleep because it knows if you're awake Mm. or asleep. So when you're really awake, you're listening to, you know, an engaging story or soundscape or audio, and it guides you to sleep. As you start to fall asleep, it starts to quiet the sound, cueing your brain to sleep even further. Once you are asleep, it shuts off. And if you wake up in the middle of the night, it brings in the same audio experience that helped you fall asleep in the first place, guides you back into sleep and shuts off when you're asleep again. It's totally awesome. So incredible. Does it change the way we dream then? That's interesting. So in one of the studies done by Dr. Adrian Owen's lab, he's a British neuroscientist. um, They saw a 20% improvement in the Pittsburgh sleep quality index using Muse. um, And under the kind of reported changes were increased, uh, decreased time to sleep, increased amount of sleep and improved dreams. Yeah. Do bad dreams actually make us sleep more poorly? Yes. And likewise, when you are really anxious, you're more likely to have bad dreams. You know, we all know that when we're in an anxious state, you often get anxiety Mm -hmm. dreams. And so when you're able to calm your mind and body before bed, you're able to go into sleep calmer. You're more likely to reduce your night terrors and reduce your nightmares. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. Okay. We don't have a lot of time left. And I really just want to ask like one big question as we kind of wrap up the show, you know, in the health space, we, we, are always looking for the right thing, the right system. Um, so much of it is focused on this external, this external destination. Like if I could reach this, then I would be healthy. And here at the living well, we try to switch that to showcase, like we were made for health, like health is inside of us. What do you believe about that and about the health space and what needs to happen or what people need to understand in order to truly encompass and live out of health? Oh my God, we all need to get that we are amazing, beautiful, capable creatures just as we are. Mm -hmm. Really, we are all worthy, safe, and loved. Most of our life feels like maybe we're not, but that's actually the truth of us. Each and every one of us is worthy, safe, and loved. And when you deeply get that, all of the crap that comes along with our fears and our worries starts to dissipate. 
you know, all of the insecurities that we have about ourselves and our place in the world and how, what we look like and what we need to do to get there that dissipates because at our core, we are capable, we are functional, we are safe, we are worthy, we are loved. And some people hearing this might reject those thoughts. Let me tell you as a therapist, I would tell that to people all the time and they'd be like, no, I'm not. And then by the end of the session, they're like, oh yes, I actually am. So allow yourself to sink into that reality. You're safe, you're worthy, you're loved. And when you do, all of the dysfunction that comes from feeling unsafe, unloved, and unworthy can start to unwind. Yeah. So good. Well, it's been a privilege and an honor to have you on the show. Where can we learn more about you and Muse and um, all of this stuff that you have going on in your life? Sure. So if you want to check out Muse, the brain sensing headband that helps you meditate and sleep, you can go to choosemuse.com. There's even photos and videos there just to show you what I'm talking about. So that's choosemuse.com. On all the socials, it's at choosemuse, C-H-O-O-S-E-M-U-S-E. And then my Instagram is Ariel's Musings, A-R-I-E-L-S underscore. A-R-I-E-L underscore S, musings. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I so appreciate it. And I will make sure and link all of that information up in the show notes so you can easily and quickly find that. Awesome. Thank you. It's been a joy and a pleasure to be here. That was my very first episode about meditation. And honestly, it was my first episode because there's a lot of conflicting beliefs behind meditation. And I didn't want to get into the politics of that. I really just wanted to stay with the benefit of what meditation is and how it can help us rewire our brain patterns. Now, I love the aspect about meditation and that it's not just about coming to a state of nothingness but it's a focus or the fixation on good things, on hope-filled things. And I don't know about you, but the idea of just focusing on something gives me more of a desire to actually start the practice of meditation on a routine basis. And Muse can help you do just that. It gives you real-life feedback on how your brain is functioning so that you can better understand what is happening inside your brain and how you can use your brain to healthify the whole of who you are. You should definitely check out Muse at choosemuse.com. And if you'd like to try it out for yourself, you can use the special code Ariel gifted you. That's pod 10. That's P-O-D-E 10. Use that at checkout for a special discount on any Muse product. And I can promise you after using Muse myself, it is truly transforming. I've used it a number of times to just help calm my body, to help get me to relax, to enter into deep sleep, and it does all of those things and more. It really is amazing. So make sure you check that out at choosemuse.com to learn more. And don't forget, I'll have all this linked up in the show notes, as well as some additional information on changing your view of meditation and getting started with a few helpful tips and tricks. You can find all of that at thelivingwell.com. Okay, that's it for today's show. Next week, I'm coming back on with a special solo episode on what I feel like is the life-changing nutrition tip that could completely transform your diet without changing what you eat. Stay tuned for that as well as many other episodes and this brand new series on eight life-transforming health practices you need to know. Okay, I'll see you back here next week.